sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Welcome to our number two of the morning after live here on this Thursday on SportsGrid and Sirius XM channel 159. The home for SportsGrid radio on Sirius XM all across the SportsGrid network. I am Ben Stevens. What a Thursday we have in the world of sports. Just one week away from the start of a new NFL regular season. Next Thursday night in Los Angeles. The Super Bowl champs, the Los Angeles Rams, host the Super Bowl favorites for 2022 in the Buffalo Bills. And tonight, in football, in the college realm, week number one of the CFB campaign truly begins. And the regular season is now underway. Ranked teams in action. Conference matchups to begin. We'll continue to break down some of those matchups here in our number two. But we begin with where the sports world had its attention yesterday. Arthur Ashe Stadium, the second round of the 2022 U.S. Open in one of the greatest of all time. Serena Williams in the second round against the number two seed in the tournament. Serena Williams, booked as an underdog, wins in three sets, advancing to the third round. She is not evolving away from tennis just yet. It is starting to feel like the farewell tour we all expected for Serena Williams in her final Grand Slam event. Her final event in the world of tennis at the age of 41 is not a retirement tour, but potentially something cosmic and a real considerable run to a potential championship at the 2022 U.S. Open because they booked Serena as an underdog yesterday. And as Serena said after the match, I'm just Serena with a chuckle when asked if she was surprised by her performance last night because she was not and nor should we be for one of the greatest athletes of all time plus 176 was that final closing number on Serena Williams against Annette Conovate who was the number two overall seed I was personally happy to back the goat to win in three sets it was plus 430 on the FanDuel Sportsbook that is what Serena Williams is still very much capable of even here in potentially her final event in the world of tennis. So as we look at the futures market now on the women's side, Annette Contivate entered the tournament as the number two overall seed, but her odds were rather long to win the championship. Serena entered with a large number as well. It is not that large anymore. 16 to one now for Serena Williams, not the favorite, by any means. Coco Goff making her way up that board as well, uh, inspired by Serena Williams in her career. But Serena is 16 to 1 to win this outright title on the women's side. And Serena Williams is no longer an underdog. She will take on Isla Tomjadovic tomorrow on a Friday during the afternoon hours up in Queens. And Serena is booked as a favorite at minus. 146 and Serena is not just focused on her individual achievements at Arthur Ashe Stadium she is also in action in doubles today alongside her older sister in Venus Williams a wonderful run through the 2022 U.S. Open it feels special it feels significant we should really appreciate this moment in the world of tennis and in the careers of one of the greatest athletes of all time and Serena Williams who by the way is a perfect 40 2-0 and 0 
in her U.S. Open career in the first and second rounds of that tournament. A GOAT continues to do GOAT things. A welcome to our Sports Grid Radio audience here, the second hour of the morning after on the first day of a new month, now in September, all across the grid. Sirius XM, channel 159. All of our terrestrial radio affiliates as well. And Serena Williams is still very much in play in the 2022 U.S. Open. Victorious last night in three sets against the number two seed, Annette Contivate, in the 2022 U.S. Open. Serena booked as an underdog. She is not that any longer. Against Isla Tomjanovic tomorrow in the third round. Serena Williams near a dollar and a half favorite at minus 146. It is a wonderful time in the world of sports. Serena in action tomorrow on a Friday. Today, week number one of the college football season fully begins. We got our appetizer last week for week zero. But today is an entree. In these next five days is an entire buffet. Five straight days of college football begins tonight. Today, Thursday, tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and even Labor Day Monday, there will be at least one college football game each and every day. Pittsburgh and West Virginia tonight in the backyard brawl, one of the more historic rivalries in all of college football. The 105th all-time meeting, but for the first time in more than a decade, Pittsburgh hosts West Virginia. The Panthers a seven-and-a-half-point favorite against the Mountaineers at home tonight. Pitt leads this series all time, 61, 40, and three. But it's not just a historic rivalry tonight. We also have, we have conference openers. And we will see that in the Big Ten Conference between Penn State and Purdue. In West Lafayette tonight, the Boilermakers, a three and a half point underdog against the Nittany Lions. That over understands at 53 and a half. Because we are getting underway, the Big Ten championship odds are not available at the moment. But Penn State has its work cut out for it as the odds indicate in the Big Ten East. The Nittany Lions, a win total of eight. The over the heavy juice at minus 145. There is optimism in West Lafayette for those boilers. A seven and a half win total. And Purdue expected to be competitive in the Big Ten West. Led by their quarterback, Aiden O'Connell. Week number one of college football begins tonight. Week number one of the NFL regular season begins in just seven days. We look forward to the start of the regular season up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Just one week, that's all. Just seven days away from the start of the 2022 NFL regular season. It begins on a Thursday night out in the City of Angels where last season ended. The site of Super Bowl 56, SoFi Stadium between the Super Bowl champs, the LA Rams, and the preseason Super Bowl favorites for this upcoming year, the Buffalo Bills. And then two days after that, a full Sunday slate in the National Football Seven hours of commercial free football, as we all know. A Sunday night football game and storylines abound across the entire National Football League. And of course, one of the focuses on that opening Sunday of the NFL campaign will be where the storylines 
are all coming to a head in Charlotte, North Carolina, where the Panthers host the Cleveland Browns. Of course, it will be Baker Mayfield against his former team, who selected him number one overall in the 2018 NFL Draft, to only spurn Baker this offseason by giving the entire bounty in for Deshaun Watson in a five-year, $230 million fully guaranteed deal. Deshaun Watson, of course, suspended for the first 11 games of this 2022 NFL regular season, will not be starting for Cleveland. It will be Jacoby Brissett. And there has already been the storylines for this game. And through social media the last couple of days, following the Panthers ending out their regular season, there were, or preseason, excuse me, there was some discussion floating around that apparently Baker Mayfield on the sideline of that preseason finale for Carolina had already turned his attention to week number one against the Cleveland Browns and toward, told an NFL reporter that he said, I'm going to F them up. That was making the social media headlines the last couple of days. Well, Baker Mayfield clarified some of those comments just yesterday following practice for the Carolina Panthers. There it is. That's what I was referencing. Baker Mayfield, though, after practice yesterday, clarifying those statements. In fact, saying, I never said that. I know it's not what the media wants to hear, but I just never said that. I never said I'm going to F up the Cleveland Browns. Of course, he is a competitor and is focused on this game. And the chip that Baker Mayfield often plays with on his shoulder has become a boulder. Baker Mayfield is at his best when he feels that he has been slighted. You can look all the way back at his Oklahoma days playing for the Sooners and planting the flag on Ohio State's O inside the shoe and maybe making a gesture toward the lower portion of his body after Kansas didn't shake his hand when he was a team captain for Oklahoma. Baker Mayfield is at his best when he feels he has been discredited. But when you're selected number one overall... In the 2018 NFL Draft, how do you feel like you're being overlooked? You went one of one. Now Baker Mayfield feels like he is being overlooked once again, playing for a new NFL team in the Carolina Panthers. And we have seen line movement in favor of the Panthers for that week one opener at home against the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland was initially favored. Then all the circumstances around Deshaun Watson, would he be available for this game? What would the final suspension be? Worked that line in favor of Carolina. It got to one in favor of the Panthers last month, about the middle of August. To start off September, it is now at two and a half in favor of Carolina. And a low total at 41 in a hook. Tied for the lowest over-under in all of the National Football League week number one. But the line works in favor of the Panthers at this moment. Carolina laying two and a half points. Now, Carolina last year got off to a great start. Started a perfect unbeaten 3-0. And then they lost 12 of their last 14 games. And they barely covered in that span as well. 2-7 and seven against the spread as an underdog a year ago. The second worst cover percentage when booked as a dog in all of the NFL. They are favored to begin week number one at home against the Cleveland Browns. But there is not all that much expected of Carolina this year. Ergo, their team win total only being six and a half. And the under, even with Baker Mayfield as the starting quarterback, still 
has the juice. Matt Rule was on the hot seat, the head coach for the Panthers last year. That's where he remains, I would say, entering 2022. Because if they do not have success this season, and success is relative when you have a win total at six and a half, but if they can't go over that number with Baker Mayfield as the quarterback, I'm not so sure Matt Rule sees the 2023 campaign in the National Football League. But of course, there will be those natural comparisons all year long, deserving or not, for Baker Mayfield and the Panthers to the Cleveland Browns and what they gave up to get Deshaun Watson and how long we will not see Deshaun Watson until at least week 13 of this NFL regular season following the first 11 games for the Cleveland Browns. And we have seen a ton of movement on that win total for Cleveland. It was not available all offseason long. They were the final team of all 32 NFL organizations. The sports books waiting to see what that suspension would be for Deshaun Watson. After Sue L. Robinson's initial ruling of only six games, it was posted at nine and a half. It was bet down and down and down to eight and a half. And then after the NFL appeals, they come to that settlement with the NFLPA and Deshaun Watson's camp at only 11 games. For 2022, that win total is now held firm at eight and a half in the under, having a ton of juice for the Cleveland Browns. So both teams, Cleveland and Carolina, relatively small win totals, at least based on expectation, and both have the juice on the under. But we will have storylines across the board. Week number one and it's not just baker mayfield a quarterback against his former team it very well might be joe flacco against his former team as well when the new york jets host the baltimore ravens week number one at metlife stadium we did not expect joe flacco to be the week one starter for new york but after zach wilson went down in the jets preseason opener had surgery on his torn meniscus, still recovering from that surgery and the bone bruise that accompanied it, it seems as of right now that Joe Flacco will get the nod for week number one against the flock, his former team. The Baltimore Ravens, a six and a half point favorite on the road against New York. It is tied for the second largest spread in all of the week one slate. Only the Colts against the Texans have a larger spread at the moment, and that one is greater than a touchdown at seven and a half. We have seen this number get up to seven in favor of Baltimore. It is now back down to that opening line of six and a half, a total at 44 and a hook. That revenge game narrative for Flacco against the flock will certainly be one to follow for week number one but it's the quarterback on the other side Lamar Jackson that is making some head waves here because Lamar Jackson is trying to negotiate his second contract in the National Football League following his rookie deal and as reports say Lamar Jackson is representing himself for the Baltimore Ravens earlier this week there was some social media fodder between a Baltimore Ravens fan tweeting out something and somebody replying that led to Lamar Jackson replying to that because the fan had iterated that the Baltimore Ravens had offered Lamar Jackson $250 million in that extension. Lamar Jackson said, no, they haven't. That contract negotiation is still ongoing. Lamar has said at times that if it bleeds into the regular season, they'll put it on the back burner until the offseason once again to try to renegotiate that contract extension and keep Lamar Jackson as the quarterback for Baltimore. Lamar has reiterated time and again, he only wants to be a Raven. We will see what happens in terms of those contract negotiations 
following another blockbuster deal for a quarterback in the National Football League. Russell Wilson on this Thursday morning agreeing to an extension with the Denver Broncos over $240 million, 165 of that guaranteed another large quarterback deal in the National Football League that will keep Russell Wilson in Denver for quite some time. Five years, $245 million. Russell Wilson about to embark on his 11th season in the National Football League, but his first in the Mile High City as the QB of the Denver Broncos. Again, Denver's win total this year, nine and a half, and the over has the juice. That's the start of one season. The WNBA postseason is coming down the stretch. In the semifinals, we recap it up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back right here on the morning after on SportsGrid and Sirius XM Channel 159. I am Ben Stevens. Thank you for joining us here on this Thursday on TMA. It's the first day of a new month now in September. September is a big time in the postseason for the WNBA playoffs. Right now, the semifinal stage is set. We have seen two games of each of the semifinal series and they're playing on the same day on Sunday it was the game one openers and upsets across the league yesterday the favorites held serve on their home floors and we welcome back on to the morning after the voice of the Connecticut Sun Brendan Glasheen he joins us here on TMA to recap what we saw last night and also look forward to game three in Connecticut on Sunday and in Seattle as well. Brendan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on the morning after. Of course, really happy uh, to be back and looking forward to dissecting what we found out. These are going to be two really good semifinal series. Two very good semifinal series, both evened up at one game apiece in these best of five series. Brendan, the team that you called games for all year long. Connecticut on the road against the reigning WME champs on Sunday. They pull off the upset in game number one. But last night in game two, the sky get even. Covering as a five and a half point favorite. And Candace Parker goes well over her points prop of 15 and a hook. Finishing with 22. The final last night in Chicago, 85-77 in favor of the sky. Brendan, what stood out to you about game number two last night? Yeah, Candace Parker was in takeover mode. I think her decision-making is at the, the top of her game right now. She just has a great feel. You, you use that term in a lot of different sports, whether it be uh, in baseball when a player is a five-tool player or in basketball, uh, can you just feel out the game? And Candace has such a great sense of when to make a pass or when to take the three. It's never forced. It doesn't seem like she's ever panicked. So... That was vintage. Some technical difficulties team, right there. We'll uh, get did not oh, John. Brendan, I think he's back. Sorry. I believe, um, Brendan, are you Candace back? Parker good? Did, did, Come on, Wi-Fi. Keep up. It's the postseason. We're talking the W right now. Uh, we need the playoff perspective uh, for sorry. Brendan. But, Brendan, please continue. Sorry. I, I, I 
Yeah, sorry. You know how this goes, man, this world. Uh, anyway, Candace Parker was superb, and that got overlooked because Connecticut won the game and held Chicago to their lowest point total of the season. In game two, Candace LeBron James-esque, to use an NBA comparison. Okay, I can't do this by myself. I need to put my teammates in comfortable situations. And Connecticut, I felt, was just worn down defensively. Chicago zips that ball around the perimeter. Yeah. Talked about this earlier year during the summer. This is a really hard team to guard in Chicago. So for Connecticut, you come out with a split. Chicago proved their assists, their high assist rate, is what's going to make them a very tough out. All five starters for the sky last night scoring in double figures. So Brennan, Connecticut takes game one on the road. Chicago evens it up in game number two last night. We go back to Connecticut for game number three. At Mohegan Sun, we have seen this line flip twice now for the series outright favorite. Chicago entered as the series favorite. Connecticut steals game one. They become the favorite at minus 164. Now it's back in favor of the sky at minus 138. Brendan, three games possibly available here in this semifinal series. What can we expect the rest of the way between the sun and the sky? Ooh, well, two games at the at Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut. So that makes things uh, for Connecticut. They've got the most wins in the last handful of years. And the W team that has not won a championship. I mean, they, they've been they've been very good or uh, under Kurt Miller. And of course, the, the elephant in the room is can they get over that hump? Can they get back to the finals they did in 2019 and capture the first to look at it if you want to be a better and, and look at it from this perspective chicago won the season series four games to none and three of the four games were extremely close last year same can be said connecticut and chicago met in the semis now the series started in, in connecticut so i won one seed they won one those first two games except one game one connecticut won two series flips so now the sun have what chicago had last year you get a game three at home, in which you when you look at just player specific, I have two players in mind for the Connecticut Sun if they want to win this third yeah. game. Courtney Williams has to be better as a scorer. Courtney Williams, if you don't know, was an all-star last year in Atlanta, started her career in Connecticut. It was average. a lot of mouths to the WNBA. When you have this Final Four, there are a lot of good players. So if you're that fourth or fifth option, it's hard to find a rhythm, so it's understandable. But Courtney Williams has to give them something offensively, and a player who shined for the Sun that deciding game in the round was Dewana Bonner, who scored 21 points in game high. DB didn't have a field goal till the fourth quarter last night. This is a two-time champion, the only champion on this roster. If she's held in check, doesn't give them something. A couple of shots from the three-point line. I don't think the Sun have much of a chance. Their reigning MVP, Jonquil Jones, can only do so much. And Alyssa Thomas, she is their engine. But Chicago has game planned well. Only a one-and-a-half-point spread in favor of Connecticut on Sunday at Mohegan Sun. Brennan, you told us the last time you were here, keep an eye on the Sun's front court. Jonquil Jones, 23 points last night albeit in a losing effort in game number two. But the, season, the series still even at one game apiece as we head back to Connecticut. The same story for the other semifinal series. The top seed in the league, the Las Vegas Aces, get even on their home floor last night in the desert against the Seattle Storm. A five-point victory, but the Aces just 
barely not covering as a five and a half point favorite. Seattle made it competitive again last night, Brendan, out in the desert. But how did the Aces hold them off? May I mention that CLV is a huge thing, as you probably talk about on this show. Six. So if you got the six, uh, uh, was another another number I was I noticed. So good on you if you did that. But wow, what a first two games in this series. I think you can't overstate the meaning of Sue Bird's final ride. You've got Brianna Stewart. I compare Brianna Stewart, for those of you that aren't super familiar with the NBA or the WNBA, Brianna Stewart is becoming LeBron Giannis-like in the sense that, yep, there she is in the conversation to win MVP again. Talking about her, folks, she's 28 years old. She's yet to really hit her prime. But Brianna Stewart shot making last night, insane. You add Tina Charles at the midpoint of the season. You have Jewel Lloyd, the gold mamba, who takes her number after a score was great in game one. They've got enough here to match the star power and firepower of Vegas. Now, Vegas can really shoot it. They've got championship pedigree in Chelsea Gray, who came over from the Sparks a couple of years ago. But the battle between Brianna Stewart, to me, was must-watch TV last night. Now, to answer your question about how the rest of the series goes, my big question for Seattle, Gabby Williams out, De'Erica Hamby's out on the other side for Vegas. But the big question I have about Seattle, put this team on her back and win two more games against this top seed, a team that averages 85, 80, you know, in that range of 85 to 88 points a game. Their defense has to help them win. And Tina Charles, that did some results. So I'm just, I'm just, my only fear about Seattle to win the series is there's, they're almost two Brianna Stewart dependents. That brings up Jewel Lloyd. She has to keep having big games, scoring the ball. So they respect her outside. I Vegas. I mean, they, they're explosive. They went on a big run at the end of the third quarter. They were up eight going into the fourth quarter last night. That felt like a game that was going to go nip and tuck the whole way. They've got weapons everywhere. Jackie Young, rising star. I don't know. LP caliber year. Asia Wilson, those numbers last night, career high, playoff points. They got a lot of pieces there, man. So they, they're, they, and now for Vegas, they've got to be better defensively against Stewart or she will eat them alive. She is that good. She can do what players in the with maybe a lesser surrounding cast and, and win a series. Keep an eye on that star-studded matchup for Seattle. It's Brianna Stewart, 32.7 boards last night. On the other side for the Aces, Asia Wilson, 33 points and 13 boards. Brendan Glasheen, the voice of the Connecticut Sun, thank you for breaking it down for us. Across the WNBA postseason, we'll have you back on the show very, very soon. It is intriguing, though, to see both of these series in the W evened up at one game apiece and we go back now to a new destination for both of the game threes on sunday the first one up in connecticut the sun as we showed you a point and a half favorite the storm also a one and a half point favorite in seattle on sunday and we made this point yesterday entering game number two the storm were a slight favorite in the series outright price at minus 115 but the aces were expected to win the series in five games it was the most likely outcome in that market well now the aces 
are back to being the favorites to win the WNBA title at plus 155 on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Chicago, the second best price at plus 260. The Sun and the Storm round out the final four teams we have remaining, plus 344 Connecticut and plus 360 for Seattle. And again, keep an eye on that series price between the one seed in Las Vegas and the four seed in Seattle. The Storm, a slight favorite, entering game two with a one nothing series advantage. But now the Aces are minus 172 to win this series as we head to game three in the other destinations. Connecticut on Sunday hosting the Sky. The Storm on Sunday hosting the Aces. We go to Major League Baseball up next here on the morning app. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're going to talk some baseball here. Live on the morning after on this Thursday, the first day of the month of September, the final month of the regular season. Next month, October. What does October mean in baseball? Playoff action. We break it down now on the morning after. Live right here on SportsGrid. I am Ben Stevens. Very pleased to welcome back on FanDuel and Number Fires, Jim Saunas. Fresh off his return from Dublin, where he was over in the Emerald Isle to take in the Week Zero marquee matchup of his alma mater, the Northwestern Wildcats, winning outright as a 12-and-a-half-point favorite against Nebraska 31-28. Jim, we'll get to baseball in a second, but it's day number one of week number one of the college football regular season. Following week zero, you know I need your assessment of what you saw out of the Cats in Dublin. It was awesome, Ben. Like, not just, like, the fact that they won, but also, like, I thought they played pretty well. Obviously, you know, they're... Scott Frost has received the majority of like the flack for that game, but honestly, Northwestern played well. The offensive line was sick. Uh, I think that was kind of the biggest thing. Ryan Helinski yep. took advantage of a good offensive line and, and didn't make any mistakes, hit open guys. So I thought that part was great, but also like, and you know this, Ben, the Nebraska fans are awesome. And so like, it's fun to like, you know, be at a game where the team rooting for wins, but it's even better when like you're out afterwards and the Nebraska fans, the other side is like, hey, great game guys. Hope you have a good rest of your season. So I was like, it kind of made the experience that much better to like, not just like win the game, get to experience that high, get to be in Ireland and stuff like that, but also the Nebraska fans just being chill and like being themselves and like, you know, congratulating us, you know, giving us high fives. I know that's not a surprise to you, yeah. but like, it was fun. I had a blast. So all around, just a great time in Dublin. Nebraska nice is the state motto for a reason. And maybe because the beer was free, despite Scott Frost <laughs> blowing another second half lead, Cornhusker fans were still feeling in that jolly good spirit. Ryan Holinsky was sensational, by the way. 27 to 38, 314 passing yards for Northwestern. And the Cats, they ran the damn ball for 214 yeah. yards against a very tired Huskers defense Jim did you have enough free beer that at the time that Scott Frost decided the onside kick to surprise Northwestern you were just like hey did Scott Frost grab a pint of Guinness too or what's going on here 
It was one of those things where, like, you weren't really that surprised, I, I guess. I don't know if he was trying to, like, I mean, Northwestern might have been surprised, but, like, you weren't really that surprised sure. because it was one of those things where, like, okay, he's yeah. kind of feeling himself. You know, he's in his bag right now. And honestly, the onside kick was one thing. I think you could criticize it for being, like, uh, we were, I was talking to Parker Fleming, uh, Stats of War on Twitter, and he was saying, like, yeah, it's a high-variance event in a, in a situation where you want to be low-variance because you're the favorite, you're up by two scores. So I get it from that perspective, but also, like, I mean, I didn't think it was that bad of a call to go for the onside kick. Just really bad execution. They kicked it right at one of the guys, on, uh, Andrew, Andrew Clare, on the front line for Northwestern. So maybe execute better. But, like, I didn't think it was a bad plan. It's just there were other things. You know, maybe the offense going scoreless for six consecutive tries after that. Maybe the puking contributed to any something like this. So I think there are other factors to blame Scott Frost for more so than the onside kick attempt. Not the puking from the free beer, the puking from offensive right. line practice for Nebraska <laughs> all fall camp long. All right, now we go to Major League Baseball. Sorry, I had to indulge my <laughs> Ireland takes from Jim Sonis, who was live there at Aviva Stadium on Saturday. Yesterday, though, Jim, a huge matchup in the National League coming to a head at City Field with Jacob DeGrom getting the start against Tyler Anderson in the Dodgers. Of course, DeGrom booked as a favorite. Edwin Diaz comes in for his 29th save. DeGrom is sensational again. Brandon Nimmo robs Justin Turner of a homer that would have tied the game in the top of the seventh, all leading to a big 2-1 victory for New York. What was your takeaway from that great game between the Mets and the Dodgers? Just a fun sports night. Like, I think that, that yeah. that's not like an actionable takeaway, but like it was a fun sports night <laughs> going back and forth between the Serena match yeah. and this game because it wasn't just like a fun game in general between the top two teams in my NL power rankings, but also I had to grom over eight and a half uh, strikeouts for that game. He was sitting at eight down to his likely final batter because he's over 90 pitches and he's been around, you know, 90 or so since he came back. I'm like, okay. Final batter, Gavin Lux, he falls down to, oh, I'm like, awesome. Like, I'm going to lose this, this this over. That's going to be great. But he comes back, three straight swinging strikes to get the strikeout. He gets the over at nine strikeouts. That's great. Yeah, the Nimmo yep. catch right before that, too, but who cares? You know, it's, it's all about the strikeouts here. <laughs> and I have the Mets money line. And, like, it was kind of like a combination of things. You get Serena, which is cool just as a sports fan, as like a human being. That was fun. But then you get... DeGrom over on the final pitch on three straight swinging strikes down to or fall after falling behind 2-0. You get the Nimmo catch, you get the Mets money line, you get the Edwin Diaz, the Timmy Trumpets thing. It was one of my favorite sports nights I've had outside of the Dublin thing. Probably like all year, honestly, Ben. So yeah. uh, that's not an actionable takeaway, but like it lived up to the hype. And it's really tough to do that for a baseball game in August, but it did so. And it was just a blast all around. To think about how close that action was at Arthur Ashe Stadium up in Queens, not far away from City yeah. Field and pretty much the entire focus of the sports world on those two areas. It was awesome last night. Truly, the atmosphere felt special on the final day of August. It is the final game of this series between the Dodgers and the Mets today. We go from Jacob deGrom to Chris Bassett. And on the side for the Dodgers, another lefty, Clayton Kershaw, back for LA the Dodgers booked as a slight road favorite right now Jim how do you approach the Mets as a money line underdog in the series finale today yeah so I got them at plus 130 yesterday on the money line it's now plus 112 I do still show value in that like obviously you prefer to bet it when it was plus 130 I have the Mets as like the slightest of favorites in this game in part because Chris Bassett is very good he's not a high strikeout guy but suppresses hard contact gets ground balls you'll have that for sure but also some uncertainty around Kershaw. He's coming back to this rotation without a rehab start. He did throw a sim game, so it's not like he's 
totally out of nowhere, but there's extra uncertainty when there's no rehab start, guy coming off an injury. That's a lot of factors that are working against the Dodgers here. So my numbers have the Mets as uh, 50.4% to win this game right now. So at plus 112 on the current money line, I do still think there is value in that number potentially diving in there i've got kershaw projected for around 80 pitches or so for tonight so looking at the strikeout prop i was somewhat tempted to go um it's three and a half right now minus 166 i think that's gone down too much so i think you could also i mean it's they're uncorrelated to go with the mets money line but also kershaw's strikeout prop over but given he went 70 pitches in that sim game i've got him at 80 i've got him at five and a half strikeouts projected here so it feels a bit odd to be that far off cons- from consensus, but I haven't, I've not bet that one yet. I do want to make that clear, but I am strongly considering getting in on the Kershaw strikeout prop just because 70 pitches should allow him to go eight or so for tonight. So a couple different routes to betting this game. I, again, I do think there's value still in the Mets, uh, the Mets money line at plus 112. Yeah. Potentially diving in on Kershaw over three and a half, too. It's minus 166. That's probably about appropriate, but a couple of to betting this game. So similar to last night, you can enjoy this game for what it is, which is a fun game between two very, very good teams, but also some potential betting value within it, too. And Clayton Kershaw now back for that Dodgers starting staff. But the guy that threw last night, Tyler Anderson, might actually be their best pitcher at the moment because of the injuries we have seen to Walker Buehler and Tony Gonsolin. Oh, by the way, DeGrom finishing with nine strikeouts, three straight games with nine strikeouts. He has gone over eight and a half Ks in five of the six starts he has made this year. Just the opener was his only start under eight and a half. And DeGrom is back to being dominant. Four in one with a one, nine, eight. ERA. All right, Jim, let's go elsewhere around Major League Baseball today. In the American League, the Baltimore Orioles will not quit. They call up the number two prospect in all of baseball yesterday, Gunnar Henderson. And in his second career at-bat in the bigs, he launches a homer more than 425 feet. He swung so hard his helmet came off, but do not worry. The beautiful lechuga of Gunnar Henderson rounds the bases. The Orioles shut out the Guardians. They win 4 nothing. And today in Cleveland against Shane Bieber, it is the Orioles as a plus 154 favorite. So Jim, Baltimore has their work cut out for them, not only today against Bieber and the Guardians, but also two games back of that American League wildcard race. Can the Orioles stay competitive here in the final month of the regular season, at least to provide that glimmer of hope for a wildcard spot? Yeah, I think they can definitely stay alive, in part because I think they're a legitimately okay baseball team, and that's a good thing. But also, like, the American League wildcard race isn't a ton of, like, super, super competitive teams. It's a lot of teams that keep on tripping over themselves, and that's going to inherently keep them alive in this race. The one issue that they could run into is that my numbers do tend to like the Guardians quite a bit. I feel like they've I've been recommended to bet them on the money line like 16,000 times in a row. They're just 12th in my power rankings right now, which is not super high, but... I still think that, you know, we've seen a lot of value on them recently. They are above the Orioles in my power rankings, too. So as far as today's game goes, I can't get to either side of this game in terms of the money line. I think it's pretty efficient uh, with Cleveland at minus 184, Baltimore plus 154. I think that is very efficient. So to me, this individual game, I'm not going towards. But as far as the O's continuing to, you know, do some fun stuff, this offense, I think, has been underrated for a while they're not the best offense by any means this bullpen is okay if they can just get the starting pitching to be competent they're gonna stay in it just because the other teams in it are you know again shooting themselves in the foot repeatedly so i think they'll stay competitive i don't think they will make the playoffs but i think that they're gonna make it fun and uh it's a fun team to watch too 
So I think that that's a good thing if they can stay in it for as long as possible. And that's all we can ask for. A fun team to watch down the stretch for Baltimore. Two games out of the postseason. We never thought we would say that about the Baltimore Orioles. The Blue Jays have that third and final spot. The Mariners, the second spot. And the Rays, now only six games back, by the way, in the American League East as well, the top spot in the AL wildcard standings. Jim, today out in Detroit, a day game between the Mariners and the Tigers. The M's in that postseason contention spot. How do your numbers value the Seattle Mariners at the moment? Yeah, so I've seen some weird movement in this game because I was pretty into the Mariners and I got in the uh, uh, minus 165 last night in the money line. That has moved against me. It is now minus 152 for the Mariners money line. So that's always a concern. It never feels great to have a number move against you, but I can't change the numbers that I have. I've got them around 69% to win this game. And that's despite my numbers being pretty skeptical of Logan Gilbert. A lot of it is that Eduardo Rodriguez is living by suppressing hard contact. And that's a pretty delicate, delicate line to walk, especially when his last time out against the Rangers, he did let up a 42% hard hit rate in that game. The Mariners offense, very, very good against lefties, even with Mitch Haniger and Ty France not performing up to snuff against lefties so far this year. So I think they're a pretty good team against lefties. Rodriguez walking a very fine line. And Logan Gilbert has his flaws, but his biggest flaws are letting up hard contact, letting up fly balls, the Tigers offense probably not going to provide a whole lot of that. So it has moved against me. I want to make that very clear. That should be a massive, massive red flag. But I do still think minus 152 based on what my numbers say, based on honestly, just like anecdotally, I feel like that should be a good number. So I would take minus 152, maybe keep an eye on that market to see if it continues to shift in Detroit's favor. But at least as of right now, I'd be okay taking it with the caveat again being this number has moved against me a decent amount since last night. All right, Jim, quickly here, only under a minute left in this segment. The final month of the regular season now that we are in September in Major League Baseball. What do the numbers tell you about where the league stands as we uh, correlate it to the World Series odds? Yeah, I think that right now it really is kind of the teams you would think of. Uh, my power rankings are the Dodgers, number one, Yankees, two, still despite their issues, uh, and then Braves and Mets. So the Braves, I would say, if you're looking for like a longer shot, 12 to one, offense is playing pretty well. The starters starting to improve. So if you want a longer shot, I would go Braves. I think they are kind of in that tier. So uh, they're interesting to say the least at 12 to one. 12 to one, the fifth best price right now. Jim Saunas from Number Fire and FanDuel. Thank you so much for everything today. A Major League Baseball breakdown and the recap of the Dublin debacle as well. More TMA up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Closing out our two hours together here, live on a Thursday on the morning after on SportsGrid. The first day of a new month now here in September. Thank you for joining us all across the Sports Grid Network, Sirius XM Channel 159, and I am Ben Stevens. And I am fired up because today officially unveils week number one of the college football regular season. Week zero was a wonderful appetizer. But over the course of the next five days, that begins tonight on this Thursday evening, we will have at least one college football game each in every day an appetizer in week zero an entree tonight a buffet the entire weekend 
College football is so back. And because I am Ben Stevens, and because I am Big Ten Ben, my focus can only be at one thing. Not Penn State-Purdue, a great game, but that Minnesota Golden Gophers defense coming through big again to start off 2022. So before we say farewell, before we say goodbye, it is time for a college football best bet. Look at the smile on my face. It is time for Bye Bye Bye. Let's give some credit to that Golden Gophers defense from a season ago. Minnesota ranked second in the country in terms of total defense last year, ahead of where even Georgia stood in that statistical category. Minnesota was the fifth best scoring defense a season ago, only giving up just over 17 points per game. Minnesota opens their season tonight hosting New Mexico State. Now, the Aggies were in action last week in Week 0. They played a Nevada team that was tied for the lowest amount of returning production in all of college football, and New Mexico State could only score 12 points. Their team total tonight is 9.5. Minnesota is going to hold them to the under of that very, very small total because Minnesota's defense is that good. New Mexico State, under 9.5. That's the best bet to start off the regular season here in college football in 2022. We'll be back on a football Friday tomorrow on the morning after, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern time. I'm Ben Stevens. We'll talk tomorrow on a Friday.